Psalm 46. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease. To the, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Well, we're thinking about, um, now every year we get invitations to go to new places for beach missions. And um, there's a very famous uh, photo. It's from Brittany. It's some Atlantic surf there just kicking around the, uh, the lighthouse. Um, uh, do you think we should go there? No. The answer is uh, we, we're going to tell Tim to turn that one down. But um, I don't know if you can see in the doorway of the lighthouse. Can you see the man? Can you see what he's doing? He's got his hands in his pocket. Okay. So there's this raging sea all the way round the lighthouse. And there he is, the, la- the man in the doorway with his hand in his pocket. He's been there before and he knows that lighthouse is going to keep him safe. And uh, that's a kind of, um, uh, the, the picture isn't all shown actually on this screen, but it's, uh, if you can bring it over, there it is. God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. And that image captures what I'd like to say this afternoon. That whatever happens, if you're a Christian, God is your refuge and your strength. And that's what I'm like thinking about today. And, uh, of course... Um, uh, God is our refuge comes three times in this psalm that we've read. Please keep the words open because I'll be staying quite close to the text all the way through. And if you wanted a headline, that's the headline. God is our refuge. Did you note the word our? This is a psalm for all of God's people. This is a psalm for the church. This is our refuge. Did you note what word it begins with? God. Did you know what word it ends with or what thought it ends with? God. It starts with God. It ends with God. And God is all the way through this fantastic psalm. Now, uh, it was the October the 31st, not 2015-17, when Martin Luther walked across the square and nailed his famous 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Those 95 theses, that small act nailing uh, those theses on the door was going to spark an event 
that led to worldwide uh, evangelization. It really did. We live in the shadow of the Reformation today. Did you ever ask the question why science took off in the West, in Europe, when it did? Why not in China or South America or somewhere like that? It's all because of the Reformation. And, of course, Europe has been that missionary-sending continent uh, for, for centuries. And it started with Martin Luther taking a stand for truth in his day. Well, it was four years on from the nailing of the theses and the Reformation was starting to uh, reverberate through Europe. The 16th of April, 1521, four years after he'd nailed the theses on the door, Luther was summoned for trial at the famous Diet of Worms. And as he and his companions went to, on that journey to the castle to meet Charles V, the Holy Roman Empire, Emperor who was presiding over that trial, it could easily have been a horrible death for Luther. Him and his companions, uh, they sang a hymn that Luther had written based on Psalm 46. At that trial, they put him on the spot, they gave him questions, and he said these words. Here I stand. I can do no other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. And whatever they did, he would not budge. He really wouldn't. And... uh, you know, the Reformation came, and we are uh, a product down the centuries, evangelical Christians here today, a product of that man's brave stand for Jesus Christ. 1750, John Wesley preaching at Hyde Park in London, which had suffered a series of earthquakes, preached on Psalm 46. 41 years later, as he died, he said these words, Best of all, God is with us. This psalm made a big impact on Wesley. And in 2011, uh, on uh, uh, 11th of September 2011, 10 years after 9-11, Barack Obama stood at ground zero, the 10th anniversary of that terrible event when 2,983 men, women and children lost their lives. Do you know what he read from? He read the whole of Psalm 46. This psalm, more than any other, is being used when God's people are up against it, when God, when everything falls apart, when nothing appears to be going right. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. And of course, it says... God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, but actually it's a plural word. You see, troubles don't come alone. Do you know that? They don't come alone. Someone in this conference this afternoon lost not just their wife, but their mother uh, in a very, very short period of time. Someone else in this conference uh, had a email which later turned out to be a cyber attack upon his business which took over his life for about six or seven weeks and cost him thousands and thousands of pounds. You know, 
the, these troubles, these waves, these things do happen in the Christian life. They may not have happened to you, but when they do, remember this, God is our refuge and strength. So I've been looking at the, uh, the Psalms uh, in our church uh, recently, and we, we've, we've got a, a toolbox to help us to understand the Psalms. Five questions to ask a Psalm when you come to it. The first one, when was it written, or a background type question. Now, sometimes you get a clue in the heading. The headings are inspired scripture as well. For instance, some of the Psalms were written from the cave when David was in the cave hiding from Saul. There's two Psalms like that. Some Psalms were written after a time of great joy when they just wanted to praise the Lord. And and there's five Psalms at the end of the book with no requests, no complaints, no uh, sighs, no sorrows. It's just let everything praise the Lord. And some Psalms are sighs when everything goes dark. Psalm 88, the darkest one in the Psalter. When was it written? The background is very important. We'll be looking at that a little bit later on. And of course, the big message to ask when you read any passage of scripture, what is it all about? What is this saying to us? What is the message of this psalm? We're looking at that one shortly. Now, psalms are poems, not like English poems that rhyme, though there are words that rhyme in this psalm in the original language, but the ideas support or contrast each other and you'll see that as we look at the psalm the structure is important the most important psalm psalm 119 where almost every verse of the 176 verse verses mentions god's word in some way shape or form it talks about his word it talks about his law talks about his statutes it talks about his principles precepts it just is all about god's word and the first eight verses begin with A, and the second eight verses begin with B, and the third eight verses begin with C. It's drawing the attention to the letters on which those that word comes to us. The psalm on God's word. You know, the biggest psalm in the book is all about God's word. What is God saying to us there? He's saying, my word is important. And so that's the structure there. Structure question is a good question. Jesus said, after he'd risen from the grave, he met with the disciples on more than uh, 11 occasions and, of course, to more than 520 uh, people. And each time it's recorded, he opened the scriptures. What was Jesus doing? And by the scriptures, we mean the Old Testament. And he showed them things from the prophets, the law and the Psalms concerning himself. What was he doing? He was saying to the disciples, I'm going to go, but here is my word. This is where you meet me from now on. And he was showing them in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms, where they would find him. And Jesus said, the Psalms speak of me. Therefore, when you read a Psalm, you ask the question, where is Christ? It's been great to go through the Psalms this weekend. Of course, we had Psalm 1, didn't we? Where who is the blessed man of Psalm 1? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who, who didn't go in the way of sinners, but he died for sinners upon the cross. And of course, we looked at Psalm 103, our Redeemer, 
who redeems our life from destruction. Who is that? But it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 23, we thought about the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And of course, Psalm 22, this morning, the suffering substitute on the cross. Not forgetting Psalm 126 last night where Jesus is the sower. He's the original one who left heaven to come sent by God to save this world. And he's also the seed. He is the the word, the spoken word of which the written word speaks. So we ask the question, where is Christ in this psalm? And finally, the question we ask is this one. We don't start with this one. What does it mean to me? You know, it does speak to our hearts as individuals. What does it mean for us? So there's our five questions. We're going to look at those as we try and unpack the psalm today. So Psalm 46. I've got three headings to sum up the message of this psalm. First one is this. Verses 1 to 5. God is our refuge when the world is falling apart. God is our refuge when the world is falling apart. The second one is... God is our refuge when our enemies are raging. And the third one, God will be our refuge forever and ever. Let's look at the first one together, verses 1 to 5. So you have it there. Um, You have as well uh, a refrain or like a a chorus. We're going to sing a hymn at the end, uh, which fits in with this psalm, which has got a chorus that we sing again. And the, the psalm's got that. We get God as our refuge and strength, verses 1. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, verse 7. And right at the end, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You get that chorus, that that refrain coming uh, three times. So, well, let's look at those these first few verses, shall we? So, God is our refuge when the world is falling apart. Even though the earth is removed... The mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. The waters are roaring uh, and the mountains shake with the swelling. It's as if creation itself, when the mountains first came out of the sea, are now going back underneath. This is an undoing of the work of creation. Remember, we're talking about poetry here. But actually, at the flood, that is what happened. Those mountains which had been pulled out of the sea on day three were totally deluged, covered and over when God judged the world in that worldwide flood. The roar of the waters and the, 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 the mountains themselves shaking, you know, the destructive power of the ocean. Do you get the picture in the psalm, and of course that lighthouse in the storm with the waves crashing on it is a great picture of these first of the, of the, the verses two and three. The earth being shaken about when and and of course the uh, the refrain of the psalm, God is our refuge when the world is falling apart. There may come a day in your life or in mine. When our world just falls apart, when the Lord, or some things just go badly wrong. You know, the day when Job lost his business and one after the other came in. It was a day that started like any other and yet one after another 
the messengers came in and eventually he's lost his family. When the world falls apart, Job knew that psalm as well, that uh, God is our refuge and strength. He worships. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So even when the work of creation appears to be done, then the Lord is doing his work. What's the next few verses? Well, we get a complete contrast. So in verses 2 and 3, we've got a raging sea. What do we get in verse 4? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Just imagine a river. It's sunny. There's a city. There's, there's a river there. It's a, a, a calming place. A city. There's people. There's industry. There's activity. There's fellowship. And it's the holy place of the tabernacle of God most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Now, the mountains are moved. The seas are moved. But the city of God, which is a picture of the church, will not be moved. Same verb. Everything else is going to go. God in the midst of his people, in the midst of his city. She will not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. When is an army at its weakest? If you're ever going to plan an attack, you attack the enemy at the break of dawn. They're just getting up, they're disoriented, they're not got it all together. And God comes to help us. When we're at our weakest, he comes and the dawn Breaks. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And of course, this is a description of the earthly Jerusalem, 46, 47, 48. The city of Jerusalem on earth. But they're a picture of God's Jerusalem, the city of God, the place where God lives. And a picture too of heaven itself. There is a river. There is a city. And there is a place where God will dwell forever and we will be there with him if we know him as our lord and as our savior do you know him dear friends we put that question out several times but will you be there in that city forever with the lord do not go away from this weekend if you're not right with the god who made you you need to turn to him trust him he will welcome you he says come and he wants us to come and know him so what are the lessons to learn what's the practical side here well they're in it's in verse two therefore we will not fear when troubles come when failure occurs when disappointments arise when things go wrong when tragedies happen when cancer knocks on the door when bereavement comes and remember these things don't just come by themselves sometimes whatever happens we will not fear because God is our refuge and our strength let that truth sink into your heart and determine whatever happens God is my refuge and my strength can I ask you a question 
What are you most afraid of? I don't mean things like some might say, well, I'm afraid of spiders or what. I don't know. I don't mean things like that. We've got those sort of little fears. But I mean, what are you most afraid of that could happen in your life? Have you got a list of fears? Why not write them out and just pray them through each one, remembering that God is our refuge and our strength. And that exercise of just bringing our fears to the Lord and committing them to him, take it to the Lord in prayer. Make a list and pray them through one by one. Face them with the Lord. God is our refuge and our strength. You know, we follow one, don't we, who said these words, my soul is exceedingly troubled. Jesus knew what it was to be troubled. Our Lord Jesus, fully God, 100% God, God the Son from all eternity, became a man, 100% man. He became what he was not before. He took a human name that he did not have before, the name of Jesus, and he, as God and man, faced all that we can possibly face and more. He is our refuge. He is our high tower. He is our strength. He is the very present help in trouble. So God is our refuge when the world is falling apart. God is our refuge when enemies are raging. Now, history, do you ever do history at school? 1815, 1805. History is shaped and taught on the basis of battles, normally 1066, 1415. You know all of these battles from history, don't you? Well, of course, uh, God is in control of history also. And actually, the desolations that are wrought in the earth are said to come from God. And uh, he is the one who does his work even through wars and the raging of the nations well in 701 BC the armies of Sennacherib the king of Assyria surrounded Jerusalem Jerusalem is like the place on earth where God's presence the only place on earth where God's presence was in that temple at Jerusalem God's people God's cause the Lord Jesus Christ in the loins of Hezekiah in the king was in that place. Had Jerusalem been obliterated by Sarakarib, well, that would have been the end of God's cause in the earth. And in 701 the BC, the Sennacherib king of Assyria sounded Jerusalem. He'd already conquered every major city in Jerusalem. If you go to the British Museum, great place to go, by the way, you can see on the Taylor Prison, nothing to do with me, uh, 46 walled cities and 200,000 people had already been deported. And Sennacherib, in his annals, he writes of Hezekiah being like a cage bird, shut up in Jerusalem. He speaks of the conquest of all the other cities. But he does not speak of the conquest of Jerusalem. Why? Because he didn't conquer it. He had a massive army outside of the gates. The Jews had nothing to withstand him. 
And three times we get the siege of Jerusalem in Scripture. Now, when something comes in Scripture once, it's really important. When it comes twice, it's really important. So when it comes three times, how important is it? God gives the siege of Jerusalem three times a mention. We get it in 2 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah 36, 38. And what do we read? This godless, atheistic, God-hating, blaspheming man called Rabshakeh comes and draws outside the city of Jerusalem. And he publicly uh, denounces the God of the Israelites and tells them to surrender. It didn't look very good for Israel. And what Hezekiah does is he prays and he stands. He stands on truth. And we read these words. Two kings, sorry. Isaiah 36, 38 verse 36. The angel of the Lord went out and slew in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 men. And when they arose in the morning, behold, they were all dead men. The Israelites didn't have to fight a single, didn't have to use a sword, didn't have to use a bow. They didn't have to do anything. They prayed and it's as if God just sent his angel and 185,000 of the army were dead. And this is where verse 8 comes in. Some believe this psalm was written to commemorate that event. Come, behold the works of the Lord who's made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So what do we learn? Lesson one. The Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is a battle. Frank Briley, the missionary went to uh, Senegal, he said the Christian life, not a ballet. There was an emphasis on dance and drama in the church where he uh, was near him and he said the Christian life's not a ballet. It is a battle. And that's, that's a good quote that stayed with me all of those uh, years. Uh, we must have a battlefield mentality. Don't expect your Christian life to be without struggle and conflict. When Churchill made his famous war speech, he, you know, we'll fight them on the beaches. I have nothing else to offer except blood and sweat and tears. You know, that appealed to the British uh, character. And we did come through that war. And in a similar way, you know, the Christian life is a battle. And we need to be ready for the fight. Second point, our enemy is powerful, strong, and cunning. In Luther's hymn, he said these words. On earth is not his fellow, or in modern English, on earth he's not his equal. There is no one equal to the devil in competing by ourselves. But for us fights the proper man. For us fights the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Christian life is a battle. The enemy is strong. But God is our refuge and our strength. And Jesus fights for us. Greater is he who is in you, in you, than he who is in the world. And the key point is this. The weapon that we are given for our warfare is what? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to know our weapon. We, that's why we on beach missions, we read it every day. We teach the quiet time. And going away from this conference, can I challenge you, every one of us, to carve out some time each day, best at the start of the day, when you meet with God in his word. We need to know our weapon. And we need to know how to use it. But, you know, we need to trust our weapon and not other things. The devil will not be beaten by cunning arguments and clever reasoning. It is the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And the continuing success of this movement and of every church in this room and of every individual Christian depends upon our allegiance to, our upholding of, and our trust in the word of God. So God is our refuge when our enemies are raging. God delivered Jerusalem from Sennacherib. And you know, we've got um, Rabshakeh and Sennacherib surrounding the church, blaspheming against God, seeking to bring us down. We stand on the word of God. We make our case to him in prayer and we see what God does in answer to that prayer. And the final point. God will be our refuge forever. There's two times God speaks in this psalm. So you get verses one down to six and then he utters his voice. And the earth, which had been raging, just dissolves. It melts. The problem is solved through God's word. And then in verses 10, God speaks again. It's God himself speaking to his people. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. I will be exalted. You know, the God here speaks of the future. And the lesson is this. This God is our God forever and ever. Three times it says in the psalm, God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. And of course, who does that remind us of when we go to do evangelism? Jesus said, go into all the world and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Where is Christ in this psalm? Well, many places. He is the God who is with us by his spirit. He lives inside every Christian person. That's why evangelism is so effective because when they meet you, they are meeting the Christ who lives inside you. And for you just to be in front of another Christian who's never heard the gospel, another non- a non-Christian who's never heard the gospel, is to bring Christ by the Spirit to 
that person. And of course, when we leave them with literature or say a word or whatever we do, or even an act of kindness, God can use our witness to them in amazing ways. But you know, the final thought I'd like to draw our attention to in this psalm. How does God refer to himself? He says, the Lord of hosts. That's a title of the Trinity. The Lord who is hosts, as well as the Lord of hosts. But the one is this, the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. Now, who is Jacob? Well, we know Abraham. He made a few mistakes. You know, he was a great man of faith and an example to us all. We read about Isaac. Isaac allowed himself to be stretched out on an altar in obedience to his father, didn't he? Honoured his father. But Jacob didn't honour his father. Jacob lied to his father and twisted the situation to get personal advantage. Jacob was a big sinner. But doesn't that give us some encouragement that the God of Jacob is our God. And if you and I, we feel our sins today, and throughout this weekend, as different ones have spoke, I don't know about you, but I've felt that Holy Spirit of God convicting me of where I need to, things I need to put right. Remember, it's the God of Jacob, the God who left heaven, the God who died on the cross, the God who didn't do anything wrong, but took the punishment that we deserved. He's the God of Jacob. He's our God, and he is our refuge forever. Martin Luther, he's been called God's volcano. He was, a, a, you know, had an ebullient personality. He was a, a straight from the shoulder. Maybe he was the German version of a Yorkshireman. I don't know. But he could say things as they were. He called a spade a spade. It got him into trouble many times. But even he would get discouraged. He had a famous friend, also a hymn writer, called Philip Melanchthon. And when Luther was down, he would say these words. Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th psalm. Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th psalm. If in this coming year you get down for whatever reason come let us remember the 46th psalm god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble